Are that working? Good morning, everybody. I uh, would like to introduce a friend, an old friend. Well, he's old, anyway. Yeah. Uh, I met him uh, way back in the early 80s when he taught at his hill. We've been friends ever since. He just moved to San Antonio recently. Jim Fowler, back in the back. He and his wife, Gracie, are here. Uh, talked to Jim after the fellowship. Um, one of my favorite writers um, have really benefited from his book. I, I think he writes a book every day, something like that. And, uh, but are all free on his website. I mean, you can buy the hard copies, of course. But uh, is it Christ in You Ministries? Christinyou.org? Okay, Christinyou.net. I think you can remember that first line there. Jim Fowler, good to, be, good to see you, great to see you. Jim's recently uh, gone through, a, I would say, a trying medical situation in his life. So anyway, we're doing a series, I'm doing a series, on um, sort of a takeoff on the old uh, primitive idea of the seven deadly sins. The seven deadly sins, all of which I've experienced, and uh, but uh, I got three weeks, so we're going to concentrate on three of them, three of the deadliest, and of course their opposites, their contrast, and that that uh, life as it's manifest in Jesus, that opposite life, right, that is in that is in Christ. So um, with that. Turn in your Bibles. Let's let's start. Let's start in Luke, chapter twelve. This is a topical study, so we're going to look at a lot of passages. Uh, move pretty quickly, but we're going to start here, and this will be our our home base, so to speak. Kelly, Arlene, Madeline, thanks for the music. Anybody detect any mistakes? I think you missed that a sustained on "Tis So Sweet and Jesus," but other than that. Uh, no, it's great. Thank you all for, for doing the music. We're gonna, here's a, a parable someone was speaking, uh, Jesus told in light of a situation. And uh, begin in verse 13. Let's look there and let me pray before we read. Father, thy word is truth. Sanctify us in the truth. Father, the living word, Jesus, I pray that by your spirit you would take your written word and uh, explain it to our hearts and quicken our spirits and strengthen us by your spirit in our innermost being that we might be built up in Jesus. Amen. Okay, we're going to look at greed, one of the deadliest sins, greed. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. And he said to him, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter over you? And he said to them, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. We'll stop right there and make a few initial uh, observations. 
the, the bottom line in this story is there was a man, and I know there's plenty now in these days, who believed that uh, God, Jesus, exists to fulfill their needs, you know? And th- this man certainly, did he think he was right or wrong? He was, he was certain he was right. He, he was certain that he had a right to this uh, inheritance, but he just needed a little clout, right? He needed someone uh, to tell his brother so. Tell my brother to share the inheritance. Your children ever do that? Tell Tom to share. Tell Tommy to share his trucks. But greed, you know, as I've lived, you get together with folks and men, and, you know, I've heard guys, be honest, say, yeah, I struggle with pride. That was last week's lesson. And the guy will say, man, I just have a problem with anger. And that's next week's lesson. But I don't think I've ever been together and had someone say, man, I'm just really greedy. You know? <laughs> And it, we don't ask ourselves that question. Later on, I'm going to show you what question we do ask to sort of diagnose our heart. So Jesus says very clearly, I'm not a decision maker. I'm not the arbitrator between you and your brother in the dispensation of your greed. That's a pretty strong rebuke, isn't it? You know, that's a pretty strong rebuke. And then he gives the warning. He gives the warning. He says, beware and be on your guard. So this is a subtle thing, and it is a warning, right? If you, it sounds like a strong warning to me. And when warnings are given, possibilities must exist. Amen? The possibility of greed must be uh, one of those deeds of the flesh that war against our spirit. That song we sung was so perfect. Once, what I once held dear, right? What the world wars to own, right? That's what we're talking about. But greed isn't just a desire for big things. It can be desired for a, a change of job, a change of location, a change of income. Uh, I heard tell of a man... Uh, who prayed that his wife would pass away so he could have another wife. Greed. Greed. Let me give you just a simple definition, very simple definition of greed. Greed is wanting more than you have to the point of being discontent, right? Wanting more than you have to the point of being discontent with what you do have. Right? You're discontent. Discontentment is the, right, the exposing element of greed. Contentment being the opposite. So don't ask yourself, am I greedy? Ask yourself this, am I content? Am I content with my lot? Uh, that's a good question, isn't it? And so often people are not Content, and they blame their unhappiness uh, on everybody, on everybody. So Jesus warns them about every form of greed. So there must be various forms of greed, right? Just various forms. We're going to look at one very specifically here in a minute. But let's continue on in Luke. It says, Then he told them a parable 
saying, the land of a certain rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself. What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Quote, one of the few quotes of Ecclesiastes in the New Testament. Eat, drink, and be merry. So that's his decision, right? But God said to him, you fool, you fool. This very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? Now what's it worth? What's it worth at the judgment seat of Christ? Everything you own. What's the net worth? Zero. Zero. There's such a thing as treasure in heaven, isn't there? There's such a thing as treasure in heaven. And greed does not accomplish it. Now listen, verse 21. Done with the parable. Gives the application. So is the man who lays up treasure, what? For himself. The net beneficiary is who? Me. So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I think being rich toward God, if it were in this context, is the man using his money for eternal purposes, support of the gospel, provision for the poor, etc., etc. Was it a sin to be productive? No, no sin to be productive. Was it sin to lay up? To make the, make the provision for the big crop. I don't think that was a sin. Joseph did it in the Old Testament. The sin was in imagining that it's all his and that he would have a future on which to spend it. Greed. Um, so many examples. This can take on a very religious looking form, you know, greed. Um, I remember during that time I was a director of his hill. I got a phone call one day, answered the phone. Here's the first thing out of the guy's mouth. This is your lucky day. <laughs> oh, good, there's a new director. <laughs> <laughs> no, he said, this is your lucky day. And I, I, I said, well, yeah, tell me, what, 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 what has benefited me here? He said, well... Um, I am the um, accountant for an extremely wealthy man who would like to donate five horses to your horse program. I said, well, that is a, a nice thing. I just, you know, I just knew the punchline was coming. I just felt it. I just sensed it. So I was, I was responding with a little tinge of sarcasm. I said, oh, that's sweet of you, awful generous. And uh, 
I said, so uh, what would be the next step? Here's what he said. He said, well, these are very uh, valuable horses. They are uh, registered, whatever they were, but we just haven't registered them yet. They're valued about 50000 each. So all I want the school to do, so all I want, is that when you give us a receipt for the charitable gift that you write it out for five horses valued at 50000 each. And uh, I was younger back then. I probably won't repeat in church what I told him, you know. But uh, no, nah, it was, it was, I said, no, no. Take your horses elsewhere, you know. And his whole motive was what? Right off. Greed. Greed. The horses were probably on their last legs, you know, who knows. Uh, but even a charitable gift to an institution as solid and good as his hill can be motivated by what? Greed. Can be motivated by greed. Amazing. Amazing. And it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Uh, let's see. Where do I want to go? There's so much on this. And we're going to look at greed, but we're going to look, we're going to finish up, of course, with the opposite, uh, with contentment. You know, the New Testament uh, model of contentment. But turn to, uh, yeah, turn to Numbers 11. I think you, you know that story pretty well. I think you're familiar with that, the chronic quail syndrome. Exodus Numbers, there it is. Book we don't turn too often. But once you get past those census, or if that's the word, sensei, once you get past those, uh, boy, there's some amazing illustrations in there that were written for our instruction. 1 Corinthians 11. Now they've just come... Uh, they just passed through the Red Sea, right? God's delivered them from bondage and slavery. And uh, Pharaoh's armies have been destroyed uh, in the Red Sea. And uh, they're just praising the Lord, right? No. Let's look at Numbers 11. Let's begin in verse 4. We're not going to go through the whole chapter. It's a beautiful, long story, but we're going to touch on the highlights. And the rabble who were among them had what kind of desires? Greedy desires. Let's see what their desire was. They had greedy desires. And also the sons of Israel wept and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish we used to eat free in Egypt, the cucumbers and melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our appetite is gone. There is nothing at all to look at except this angelic provision from God, <laughs> this manna. I think I would have probably been in that group who grumbled. Uh, gosh, we like our 
diets, don't we? We like our preferred meals. And we like variety. Who does not like variety? But uh, they were greedy. This, he said this was a greedy desire. Oh, good to see some of you students, former students from his hill this week. Good, good to see you. Uh, how many times have you asked this question during third hour of class in the morning? What are they serving at the fish house? And they either make you or break you. You know, <laughs> you know. Is that greed? Yeah. Well, catch yourself on it, and you know, perhaps. But greed, just something as simple as not being content with what your spouse has prepared for supper. Just something as simple as, you know, grandma said, not that again. Not that again. Do I have to eat that? Uh, you know, on and on. There's things we don't prefer. I understand that. Um, but this is grumbling. God says it very clear. Uh, and this was a very miraculous provision, this manna. But they were greedy. I want to skip a lot of it. In the middle, Moses then, their greed sort of provokes Moses. And he goes, how am I going to take care of all these people? How in the world can I handle all of them? And God says, well, I'm going to support. I'm going to provide for you uh, 70 elders. And they'll help you. You know, the, the smaller cases they can take and the bigger cases they can bring to you. And they appointed these 70 elders. Uh, but you never hear of them again. It's interesting. You never hear of these guys again. But the Lord provided that. So let's skip forward in the story. He's provided this meat. He's going to provide. Let's look what he says. Chapter 11 and verse 31. Well, I'm skipping something I shouldn't skip. Uh, look at verse 18. Say to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow you shall eat meat. That's, that's good. For you have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, Oh, that someone would give us meat to eat. Now listen to this phrase. Listen to this. Meditate on this. For we were well off in Egypt. Wow. Were they? No. They were in bondage. They were in slavery. They had to make bricks. Then they took away the raw materials for making bricks and had to salvage and find them on their own. They were not well off. But it's amazing when we get greedy, our mind goes back to the old life, doesn't it? the old life, and we think of, man, wasn't that fun when I could just go and kick up my heels and be a little free and do this and that, and we become greedy. Our eyes look backwards, imagining the past, the life of slavery is a good one. But God says in verse 19, you shall eat, not one day, nor two days, nor five days, nor ten days, nor twenty days, but a whole month until it comes out your nostrils. <laughs> no explanation necessary. In other words, in a month, they're going to be sick of this. 
that meat is going to no more make you content than the manna was. If you can't be content with the manna, you can't be content with what? With the meat, with the quail. Now look at what the Lord says. A whole month, and it becomes loathsome to you. Now listen to this. Because you have rejected the Lord. Does that sound strong? I'm not content with my diet. I verbalize it. You have rejected the Lord. Because that was the Lord's provision. The Lord led them out. The Lord provided for them. And they rejected it. So therefore, consequence, they rejected who? The giver. Reject the gift. Reject the giver. Greedy. Greedy. Let's end up in... God had provided the quail, right? God provided the quail. But at the end, I like this, verse 34. So the name of that place was called Kibroth Hatava, because there they buried the people who had been greedy. And I don't know any Hebrew, but I have a couple of tools, and I looked that up, and it means graves of greed. The graves of greed. Your greed will kill you, spiritually. Your greed will kill you. It'll bury you, and you'd hate to go to your grave in your greed, huh? As a greedy person. Just someone who was never content. Never content. Well, let's flip the coin. Let's flip the coin and look at contentment. Let's look at contentment. Uh, again, where do I want to start? Turn to... Um, Let's turn to Philippians 4, passages you're familiar with. We're going to look at just review them real quickly. But I want to recommend a book. It's not a fat one, and it is my favorite book next to the Bible. I've got a lot of books. This is my favorite. It's called, the, I love the title of it, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. The Rare Jewel by Jeremiah Burroughs. Probably never heard of him. Some of you have. And it was published, I think, in 1600 and something. Old Puritan writer. 1648. This is not a first edition. <laughs> Amazing. Thorough. Easier to read than some Puritans. You ever try to read some of those guys? They're just on and on and on and on and on. It just. But this is very brief. In fact, I believe you can get it uh, free, even, PDF format at the Ethereal Library online or buy a copy. Uh, just extremely amazing. I want to read you a quote from it before we look at Philippians. He says this, Jeremiah Burroughs. Listen, as contentment proves much grace and strong grace, and beautiful grace in the heart, so murmuring proves much corruption. Wow. And strong corruption and very vile corruption in your heart. Boy, he just tells us what greed really looks like, doesn't he? A lack of contentment. He says vile corruption in your heart. Because for the Christian, these are hard things because we're saying, in effect, 
Jesus is not enough. Jesus is not enough. Knowing you, Jesus. a good song. But I want something else. I want more. We're going to look at a few passages that I've um, had memorized at one time. But um, we're just going to make a few observations, just really one from each, and then call it a day. But we're going to look at the opposite of greed, and that is contentment. And I think you can say with Jeremiah Burroughs, wow, it's rare, isn't it? Isn't it? Um, contentment. Just satisfied with the lot God has given you. More than satisfied, yea, rejoicing in what God has provided. Is it a sin to want more? No, it's not a sin to want to increase your business or get a new car. But we're just thankful and we're, we're willing to yield all along the way. Father, if this be your will, I'm going to pursue it. And uh, if not, I remember once uh, Ellen and I were saving for a new car. We wanted to try to get into it debt-free. And we had a good batch saved up. And the Lord brought across our path a brother in need. And I am somewhat embarrassed to say how much of a struggle it was for me. Because his need was exactly what we had saved up. It was a real need, not a want. But I praise the Lord that His Spirit, as always, when we yield, obtained the victory and money was given and the car was provided. What, a, and what joy that brings. So greed is always there. It rejoices in what we have. So it is not a sin to want more. It is not sin to pursue. Just always be willing to yield, to stop, to not go there. Does that make sense? Philippians 4. Very familiar passage. Speaking in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. The contented man, what? Rejoices. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't that a picture of, isn't that a beautiful picture? You have a need, you have a, make your requests known. You have not because you ask not. But later on, uh, down in the, in the chapter beginning in verse 10, he speaks of their gift to him. Paul speaks of, of their gift to him, and he thanks them for that. In verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. You lacked opportunity. Listen to what Paul says here. I thank you for the gift but I'm saying this not that I speak from want. I'm not trying to in any way put any pressure upon you to continue your giving toward me. Not that I speak from want. Why? For I have learned to be what? Content. 
I'd say if Paul had to learn it, I probably have to learn it too, right? I have to learn that too. It's a, it's a learned thing. I have learned to be content when? When is he content? In whatever circumstances I am. I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Good old Jeremiah tells another story about a um, wealthy merchant back in the ancient days who um, was a shipper. He would take large, large shipments of uh, goods, and he decided to transfer his whole, his entire uh, owning shipping to um, another locale, and he took it all out to sea, and it was all shipwrecked. The entire thing was shipwrecked. He finally, he was saved. He got through it all. He, he got back. And later in life, they, they asked him, what was your best voyage? He says, the one where I was shipwrecked. The one where I, the one where I lost it all. The one where God forced me, forced me to live without when I lost it all. My, that's might be an anecdotal story, but certainly we have to have that attitude, right? All that once was gain, I count as loss, listen, in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. Christ is of more value than anything we might want or imagine. So Paul says, I have learned to be content. And all that I have. Turn back to your left there to 2 Corinthians. We looked at this last week when we were discussing pride. And we saw it as uh, where Paul tells us why he was given that thorn in the flesh. To keep him from exalting himself. Remember that? 2 Corinthians, again, we're in chapter 12. Uh, and this is where he has that thorn. He doesn't like it. And he, he prays to the Lord three times. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And then he continues in verse, <clears throat> verse 8. And he says this. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Is it wrong to want to be healed? Is it wrong to want to feel better? Not at all. But he asked. This is amazing. He asked the Lord how many times? Three times. Three times. That was it. And he said to me, here's what God says, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace, in other words, you have enough. <laughs> you have enough. You have more than enough. You have plenty. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will boast about my weaknesses and the power of Christ, that the power of Christ may dwell in me. For when I am weak, I am strong. <clears throat> therefore, verse 10, therefore, conclusion, I am well content with weaknesses, insults, distresses, persecutions, difficulties for Christ's sake, for when I'm weak, then I am strong. I'm well content with it. Because when God brings me to weakness, when God removes, when God shipwrecks us, 
but we are in that position of weakness. We are, in a way, forced to look up, find him more than adequate, and again, learn to be what? Content. Paul says it so often in his writing. I've learned to be content. Be content. Be content. Turn to 1 Timothy. Turn to 1 Timothy. Greed and contentment. When Jesus lives in a person, a Christian, all Christians, when he lives in someone, he does not impart his nature in little bits. You know what I'm saying? He doesn't say, okay, here's a little bit of peace, and here's, you know, but I'm going to hold back this contentment. Here's a, no, when we're yielding to Christ, when Christ is enough, then, then he's everything, Right? And that which he manifests through us, the full fruits of spirits, love, joy, peace, right? And I include in their contentment. Contentment. Before we look at Timothy, uh, I want to preface it with another quote from uh, Jeremiah Burroughs. Let me read that for you. I love this. It's my favorite quote in the book. A Christian comes to contentment. How can you come to contentment? Not so much by addition, but by subtraction. A Christian comes to contentment not so much by addition, but by subtracting. Not adding to his condition, but subtract, subtracting from his desires. Isn't that good? Then he goes on as a good Puritan and elaborates that on that for about 20 pages. Uh, by, in other words, we don't say, okay, I can reach contentment by adding to what I have. If I only could walk, if I only could write, if I were only married, if I were only single, right? if I were only, right? We don't come to contentment by adding to our lot. We come by subtracting, that is, taking away, reducing our desires, and bringing our desires in equilibrium with our provision. Bringing our desires in equilibrium with our provision. Right? I'm happy with my lot. I am happy with my lot. So let's see someone again who, who thought uh, religion was was the means of his getting rich. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6. He's speaking of false teachers, evil speakers, and here's a greed. Greed is, a, is an example of every false prophet when you read it in the Bible, when it's discussed and he's described. Greed. Greed. He says, he says godliness is, verse 6, Godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by what? Contentment. So he says, oh, God, he says, not, godliness is not a means of increased wealth. Let it sink in. Godliness is not a means of increased wealth. You can be poor and godly. You can be rich and ungodly. You can be somewhere in the middle or either. But 
Godliness is a means of great gain, and that gain is what? Christ. Listen, when accompanied with contentment, what he's saying is this, that if I got all those other things I wanted that's in this list, if I, if I got those and didn't have contentment, it would be worthless. It'd be utterly worthless. For we have brought nothing into this world, so we cannot take anything out either if we have food and covering. With this, we shall be, what? Content. Very, again, repetitive. With this, we shall be content. I remember my early days uh, down at, we, Ellen and I were going to Wayside Chapel. I was going to Mr. Russell Kelfer's Sunday school class, massive Sunday school class. Uh, and uh, I met a young man who came to church. He was very uh, outgoing, very, you know, personal. And, and he comes up and he introduces himself, shakes my hand. And um, because one week that he had come, I substituted for Mr. Kelfer, and he wanted to know me. And, and so it didn't take long, about maybe two weeks. It turns out, he said... Uh, Bill, um, I sell, S-E-L-L, cell phone plans. Let's remember when cell phones first came out. Anybody remember Hawk Cellular, those early things? Uh, and he says, I was wondering if you could get a group of people together and uh, I could present uh, the cell phones that I sell. And... Uh, I said, no. In fact, I said, and if I see you pushing your goods around here on people, well, there wasn't much you can threaten, right? But it won't be. It, I said, this is the wrong group of people. I said, that will not go over well with this group of people. He thought it was an affluent church, be free with their money, you know. Literally, I never saw him after that week when I told him I would not host a cell phone party, whatever, you, you know, like Tupperware or something. Um, contentment. If we have food and covering and clothing, then let's be content with those. Let's be content with those. Let's end with Hebrews chapter 13. So again, don't ask yourself, am I greedy? Chances are you'll say no. Ask yourself, am I content? Am I content? And that's harder to answer, isn't it? It's harder to answer. Hebrews chapter 13. At the end of Hebrews, uh, you know, the New Testament has lists. Uh, and this is one of the lists. Very, very brief. Very, not all inclusive, but just, just the way he ends his epistle. He ends it with, Whoever wrote it, um, well, just a little list of instructions, a little list of instructions. Uh, let's, let's just begin in verse 1, chapter 13 and verse 1. And this list of things that he talks about that say this is, this is a characteristic of the life of, of, of Christ, in this very short list, he, he lists contentment. He lists uh, contentment. Let the love of the brethren continue. 
do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. By referring to Abraham. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them and those who are ill-treated, since you yourself are members of the body. All good instructions. Let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled for fornicators and adulterers. God will judge. Then in verse 5, let your character be free from the love of money. Uh, and, and, and you could say that, you know, money is just the, the means by which we get the thing we want. Money in of itself, just sitting there, sort of worthless. But uh, I want more money so I can get more things, right? So I can get more things. But be free. Let your character be free from the love of money. Being, how do, you, how do you demonstrate that you're free from the love of money? By being content with what you have. Now, how, is, how does the writer of Hebrews know what I have? Or what you have? Or what any of us has? Well, it doesn't matter. Because he knows that what you have is that which has been given by God and the limits upon which he has uh, placed upon you. Uh, are from him. They're good. They're good. And here's the context. It's interesting. We usually share uh, this, the end of this verse in the context of salvation uh, to support eternal security. Um, I will never leave you nor desert you or forsake you. Well, that's true. He won't in that context. But it's given here in the context of contentment, right, of uh, what you have. Being content with what you have. Well, why? For he himself, he gives a promise of God. I'll never leave you or, or desert you. If you ever really have a need, I'm there. Ask, it shall be given. God is enough. Contentment, contentment, contentment. As I close, think upon this. What good is our faith? What good is our declaration of Christ? if we cannot bring our soul to contentment. Right? What is the use of faith if nothing's going to make us happy? If nothing's going to make us content? But here's the good news. Christ is everything. Amen? He himself, he himself is altogether lovely. Besides him, we have no good on earth. Besides him, we desire nothing. I have no good besides thee. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ in him alone. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Be content with him, with all he's provided. Let me pray for us. Father, this is such a subtle thing, and it, it, uh, it's right there at the door. I pray that by your Spirit, we would be quick to put the deeds of the flesh to death. I pray that we would recognize greed for what it is and turn from it.
want to thank you again for the privilege of being up here and sharing a few things with my brothers and sisters. I pray that they will have been edified, strengthened, and built up in Jesus, in whose name I ask. Amen. All right, instructions.